0: Welcome to Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen featuring Vinnie Maltz and presented by Bloodline Hockey. Each episode we'll dive into discovering meaningful stories and connections that have helped hockey coaches and players shape their professional philosophies and personal character through the art of sport. Our show is designed to honor one of the greatest pioneers of coaching innovation and connection, Coach Roger Nielsen. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen. I am your host, Coach Vinny Maltz. So today's episode we catch up with Coach Greg Ireland. Coach Ireland has a really interesting coaching background. He's a head coach at the major junior level, American Hockey League level, ECHL, and spent several years coaching in the Swiss, in the Swiss League, uh, which is considered to be one of the top leagues to play in in Europe. He's currently coaching the Italian League in Belzano, Italy. I've been there before, and what a beauty place uh, to be able to coach and a great opportunity to uh, explore and grow from. So today we get into so many interesting parts of Coach Ireland's coaching experiences. Uh, we discuss what he has learned from legends like Wayne Gretzky and Paul Datsuk. We discuss the lessons he has learned from going out and educating himself in European coaching cultures. Some great, great coaching wisdom uh, that he shares with us about his time in Sweden and Finland. You're not going to want to miss. And we talk about how he used parenting to help him as a coach and how he's been able to use his experience as a coach to actually help his parenting as well. So some interesting stuff on that. And we discuss all kinds of experiences he's had with leadership exposure, including what he's learned from Navy SEALs, and how he was able to implement coaching development that he had received from a Cornell leadership course that he had taken to help him improve his coaching game. Looking forward to taking you on this very interesting conversation with Coach Greg Ireland. So I'd like to take a minute and thank a few of our sponsors. And The Roger Nielsen's Coaches Clinic is entering their 32nd year and is the world's preeminent coaches Clinic. This year it's being held at the University of Windsor, June 5th through the 7th. Tickets for this year's event are on sale now at www.rncc.ca. Join us and see why so many pro coaches insist on the Roger Nielsen's Coaches Clinic. And a thank you to another one of our sponsors, Bloodline Hockey. Bloodline Hockey has been at the forefront of developing and pioneering a mental performance mindset shift for players, coaches, and parents worldwide. If you are a coach, player, or parent looking for some mental performance programming specific to the hockey culture, please visit www.bloodlinehockey.com to learn more about how Bloodline Hockey can assist your mental performance needs. That's one of the toughest parts about the job is people don't realize, you know, the amount of hours, the amount of effort a coach is putting in to figure it out. And it's trying to figure out, it's chess. You're trying to figure out so many pieces of not only is it, You know, injuries you might be dealing with, you know, different personal issues you might be dealing with, ego issues that you're dealing with. And and it's just all these different parts, energy issues, like it's the amount of stuff that you have to balance is insane for just one mind to even fathom to take that. Home. Well, I mean, you know, you that. just,
1: you just take the, you know, the, the, the leadership part of, of dealing with people. I hate the word managing people because you're not managing, yeah. you're not manipulating, you're, you know, you're working with people, you're guiding them, you're, 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 you're walking hand in hand with them. But, you know, like last year, for instance, I'd have five to six one-on-one coffee meetings with players, you know, individually each week, because they had some things going on in their own life or things that were preventing them from getting their game to where they needed to be. And, you know, that's the one thing I think I've learned as a coach. And, you know, everybody has a different story and background. And before you, you kind of, you know, yell at them or, you know, or, or, or put them in a corner. You've got to take the time to get to know them. And it, and it takes a lot of one-on-one time. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's very important, but you know, it's, it's beyond preparing the videos after games. It's beyond, you know, dealing with your GM and it's beyond, you know, you know, going up in front of the team and speaking and the bench duties. There's a lot more of that one-on-one time is so much more important now, um, in getting your team moving together.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I will, I will definitely, that's definitely a big one to dive into. I'd love to know, like when you talk about the, uh everyone has their story, right? Like that's what I'd love to know with you is how did you begin? Because like, I, you know, as I was doing some of the research and stuff like that, it looked like, did you just jump right into junior A team or what, no. what's kind of like the background of how you got coaching and all that? Love to hear that.
1: Well, like in my, my hometown in a small town north of Toronto. Um, I, I was born in Toronto and then we 1977, I think I was in grade seven. We moved north through this little small town. Uh, yeah. about an hour, at the time it was about an hour north of, uh, of Toronto, but now, you know, with, with the advances in transportation and the highways and that, it's about forty forty five minutes, but, um, you know and and a, and it was a very small town of about 19 19,000 people and you get to know everybody and guys i was playing hockey with i think we were about 15 years old or 16 years yeah. old and and my friend's dad who ran the junior team uh in town grabbed a group of us and said hey we need coaches with our you know our 9 and 10 year olds um we need guys a coach you're going to take your your, your hockey canada you know level one and two and you guys are going to help saturday mornings and you're going to run a practice each week and you know so we just dive, dove in and did it and I, we had fun with it you know we were competitive guys and we you know we we did really you know really well in dealing with the young kids and we could relate to them and so it was kind mm. of always in the background of my mind i went off to university it was playing hockey and, and and when i was done um Probably safe to say I knew early I wasn't going to play in the National Hockey League. I, you know, like, you know, uh, I, you know, two things that really struck a limitation on that were, were my, my size and my skill level. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I, I had a good, I had a good mind for the game. I think, you know, I, I yeah. was educated early. My, my dad helped me always think about the game and think about different options. And it kind of, it kind of, you know, struck something in me that where I was always thinking. And so when I got out, uh, um, Actually, while I was in university, um, one of my coaches there had said to me, Hey, listen, you can, you can get a, uh, uh, some extra credit. And, you know, we're, we have a, a high school team in town, Upper Canada College. They're looking for a coach. They go accreditation. You can be accredited, uh, on your, your, um, uh, transcript. You know, you'll get some extra mm. credit that way. So I, I went down there and, and helped them after school. Like I, you know, I drive down and you know, help coach their JV team. And you know, this is pretty mm-hmm. cool. It was great. And then when I finished school, um, you know, I was, I was starting to get in the working world and I still want to be involved in the game. I tried to, to look at the, you know, senior hockey, you know, those, those leagues. Yeah. And it just didn't, it just, you know, didn't push anything for me. And I never, you know, no one ever talked to us about going down and trying out an East coast league or do anything like that. So basically, um, uh, you know, I just, I reached out to a few guys and I got coaching. I was coaching, you know, minor Bantam, Triple AAA hockey in Toronto and, and, uh, not thinking anything of it. I, I enjoyed it and, you know, kind of coached a few teams. I moved over to the Toronto Red Wings and, and, uh, I thought, well, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm, you know, in my, my low twenties, I'll, I'll go back and, you know, I'll start with my own group. So I started with a, a young group with them and kind of brought them up and, um, and then after a few years, I got, I got a couple calls and said, would you like to come, you know, come to junior hockey? Dan Cameron was uh, coaching, I think, uh, Henry Carr or Weston Dukes at the time. And I was going to go with him and something happened and, and, and he stepped aside. And then, uh, a guy named Rick Bins, who's a well-known junior coach, uh, uh, brought me over to Milton and I went over as an associate, uh, head coach with him. And we had a great year and he gave me a lot of duties, uh, running special teams and running the D. And then, uh, we we uh we had a long long playoff run. I think we went to the Ontario final that year and and then the next year um I got a call from Oakville, uh, Oakville Blades. Murray right. Walker yeah. was running it and and I uh, needed a head coach and I and I went over there and uh ran into one of my best friends. He was there as assistant coach, Darren Ferris, who is an agent now and and uh Darren, Darren and I um uh you know, took that team over and and uh was there a couple of years. That's kind of how I got started and got up to junior.
0: Oh, it's pretty awesome. Such a cool story. Uh, the, the couple of tidbits that I loved in there was right off the bat of how I think it's so important. Of I love the 15, 16-year-olds, right, getting started with coaching 9 and 10 and the relatability. And I think that's such an important part that we don't utilize enough in the culture of yeah. having the players just experience that. Because um, I think that was a really powerful moment, obviously, for you to develop. Just have some fun. There's not that pressure on it. You're still, you're still very much a youth part of the game and you get it and you're just, you're just loving it, having a good time with the kids. So I love that, how that molded you. Um, in the, and the other part too on that, that I'd love to, you know, dive deeper into is when you say your dad helped you think about the game, I'd love to hear more about that of like that type of influence of what kind of, what are some examples, you know, that when you were growing up that helped you to think through it? Cause I, that's one of the things that when we do mental conditioning now with our players, is that we're always focusing in on the thinking part, is how do we challenge players to think? Because you have to actually develop the thinking skill. It's not something that just automatically some players or a lot of players are just going to naturally do. You have to actually work that muscle. So I'd love to hear how your dad influenced well, you a little more with just, that. Just on
1: that point before I jump into a couple of stories, um, I just got yeah. back. I was in Sweden last week. I went for eight days. Um, and I did this four years ago. I went to Finland for 10 days. And what I'd done is, is I contacted a lot of coaches over there, and I, and I just said, Hey, listen, I'm coming into town. And what I'd like to do is be able to watch practice games, you know, go to lunch, have coffee and just, just share. Like, what are you guys, so what are you cool. doing? Well, and, and, you know, right now there's, there's so much talk about Sweden and Finland and um you know, that, that they're, they're doing so much in terms of development, you know, and for me, I don't want to be known, you know, in around the world, as a Canadian coach, I want to be known as uh I'm proud Canadian. I'm, I think we have the best, coaching program education program in the world it's uh, hockey canada does a tremendous job um but you know any any anyone worth their salt in any business wants to know what their competition is doing so that's what i i really thought i'll just get out there and so i went over and and i met up with my assistant coach from the last three years and we went around we went to some of the best programs in sweden and and one of the biggest things is you know there's there's all this uh you know, all this talk about the, you know, Sweden does this well. They do this well. The biggest thing that they do is they encourage creativity. They, 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 they encourage decision making right away. It's not get the puck fired off the glass, dump it in. You know, it's keep the puck, manage it, figure it out. When you make a mistake, get back out and figure it out again. You know, find, find your Love passing that. options. And, you know, I think, I think it's so important at the young age group. So, you know, for me, what I found was, um, I think driving to the rink. Was was basically the time where, where in in watching, you know, the Saturday night hockey games with my dad, it was education time. But, but he did it in a very it was a soft sell because I think his his drives to the rink with his dad weren't very pleasant. I think you know he always talked about how it kind of pushed him out of hockey after junior, and you know he he yeah. you know it wasn't it wasn't a lot of fun, so he wasn't going to do that. His first yeah. approach to me was I'm I'm here, you know, uh, I'll you know always say good game, way to go, but if you want to ask any questions, ask away. So that invited the conversation and I would say, Hey, what did you think of this? And, you know, then it was on, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he always talked about, you know, being the best positional player and and his thing back then was, you know, find someone when you're watching the leaf game, find someone who you think you play like, or you want to play like, or have your skill set, and watch him and see what he does. And, Brilliant. and yeah. So I would, I would kind of identify with a certain player and I'd watch him through the game and, you know, and, and that's kind of how, how I got things going. And, you know, and, and, you know, my, you know, my dad is, you know, he always loved the physical hockey, but he always had this thing about special teams. You know, he always used to say back then, you know, if I was a coach, I would, I would practice playing a man down, so that you know, when it got to a game, you know, having five would be easy, you know, and you know, right. or, or 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 having that extra guy, then you, you know, you know what you're going to do, and so kind of ahead of his time a little bit in terms of practicing and working and thinking about special teams, but, um. Another story on that I'll tell you is when I was working for, with the Phoenix Coyotes and I coached their farm team, I remember sitting, we went to dinner at Wayne Gretzky's house one night and we, we were talking about this and, and he said one of the things that his dad had done on watching hockey night in Canada was he drew, he drew a rink on a piece of, you know, full scat paper because, you know, there was no dry erase sports then. Yeah. And, and he said, okay, I want you to, I want you to follow one of the centermen, you know, uh, tonight and, you know, every time he takes a shift, I want you to, you know, just watch him, but have your hand trace around where, where the, uh, where he goes. And at the end of the period, I would look at it and I would see the path, you know, it would just be like, you know, that old spiral graph. And, um, he said, but I really think it got me It was one of the things that helped me think ahead, you know, because I, I was starting to understand, you know, the, the areas where the center, the center spent a lot of time, where he was going to, how he had to get there. And, you know, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. It's been a few years, but I've always kind of remembered that. And I thought, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's kind of getting the player to, to look from above at yourself, you know, and and, and have that, 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 that picture. And like you said, I always say to our guys, play check, chess, not checkers. And, and, you know, the ability to be where the puck is going, not chase it from behind, or, you know, if if there's pressure from the right side, that means the puck is probably going to spit out here or here, you know, and, and, you know, the great thing about our game is it's, it's, it's not stagnant. We don't change off whistles a lot. You know, there's, watch the the Leafs game the other night, it went six minutes without a whistle you know, yeah. so a lot of things happen that we don't drop as coaches or think about as players, but having the ability to, I like the words read and act, not read and react, but read and act yeah. and understand the game. Um, You know, I think that starts at an early age. And I think as coaches, it's really, really important. We put in decision-making tools in our drills and in our teaching to allow the players to, to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the things that Um, so many brilliant pieces to that. Yeah, I'd actually seen that, um, the Gretzky thing, I'd actually seen that on a movie that he had done. It was like Jerry Rice, like all the greatest players. And yeah, he actually talked about it in there, about that drawing. So it's interesting to hear that that came from dad and his influence, right? That forced him to think. But that's one of the things that, you know, we do culture with our players is when you talk about the decision and learning, like that, you know, we give the players understanding of, well, it, the one thing I've always found fascinating about players in general is that we we tell them to watch video, right? We know video is important. So that's kind of like you're reading the game, right? But yes. how often do we actually influence them to write the game, right? To actually feel the writing, which is what coaches do all the time. We write the drills or we write the plays. But how often do players actually do that? Because there's something to that connection in thinking is that if I'm writing it out and I'm creating it and drawing it like an artist, it does something to my mindset of how I'm able to actually perceive it and then focus in and think about it. And it's a very powerful piece of, and we use all kinds of different methods, but what, like you just touched on, it's a uh, very important, very important parts to that process of thinking is that how can we create those layers that allow players to experience those processes of thinking?
1: Well, you think about it as coaches. I, I think, I think if you don't think of yourself as a teacher, there's something wrong. That's what we are. We're not yeah. players anymore. And it's a, it's a, there's a crossover to it. And, and if you think about the teaching process, you know, that old saying is tell me and I might remember, show me, I may remember, but, but make me do it and I will remember. You know, we all have different methods. We all have different methods of learning, you know, whether, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, visual, oral or kinesthetic, you know, hands on. Mm -hmm. And, and so everybody learns different, but I can tell you one of the, you know, the coach that stands at the front with the dry erase and he sits there for 20 minutes and he has his back to the group and he's talking and he's showing, he can show the best stuff in the world. But I'm going to guarantee you over 50% of your group is not going to understand you. And, and the odd time, what I yeah. like to do is, is, you know, I like to throw the marker to somebody and say, Hey, come on, you know, no, no pressure, but get up and show us the, our breakout. You know, what are our Long options that. on it? And, and, it's not to put someone on the on the spot or but it's to kind of keep everyone in the the group going oh geez i might be next so i better i yeah. better uh i better pay attention but secondly it it also sends a message that hey i got to learn this because i could be called upon and and yeah. um we we've done this a number of times we do it i did it in junior really you can't do it in pro but we we put some pressure on but our face off plays i started it when i coached back in Caledon, canadians but also um uh, we did it in the OHL where we put all our face-off plays up on the wall. We we work them in practice. We talk about them. But I give the guys a month, and I say, like, you, you've got to know all the face-off plays. And then what we do is after a month, we come in after a practice one day, and we have on paper, just like you'd get an exam at school, and, you know, maybe the first one is, you know, show us our defensive zone, um,
0: mm. you know,
1: strong side reverse or strong side hammer or the offensive zone, Beautiful. whatever the name of it is, show us everybody's responsibilities and write the three keys. Now, the key, awesome. the idea is that if you don't get a hundred percent on it, you're going to take the test again in a week. And then, and then what we did, what we did was we had somebody who did get a hundred percent. They now have to mentor you. They have to tutor you. So one, you're encouraging, oh, create, you know, communication between teammates. You know, ownership amongst the players. Um, players helping players and and being responsible for each other. And and and, and it just basically shows that hey, there, it's a trust level. Like when I send you over the boards and say, hey, we're running, you know, the New Jersey faceoff play uh in the offensive zone. You've got to know it. Win or lose, you know, yeah. what's our plan? What's our plan? So you know it. it it uh, it challenges the players, which I think as coaches, it's our job to do that in a healthy way. You know, um, yeah. you know, the more we can give them, I think, the more they can learn. And but we got to do it in the right way. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, I
0: love exactly where you're going with that. It's um, it's such a huge part and component to it, right? Of understanding what is the right way. And I'd love to hear about you know from your perspective of how you're going from coaching at the major level and doing all that stuff, but now you're getting the head gig. And you start off in juniors and you, and now it becomes the pressures greater. It becomes a lot more serious. I love to hear your take on that of, you know, for you, what was it like when you first started developing the standard? Like, what was that experience like for you? Cause obviously the, the component of allowing players to develop and understanding them, we all know how important that is. But there's also the part of the, the self pressure that we have of when we just start off getting going as a coach and having that. Now it's on you and you're the head coach and you're moving into a big junior position. I'd love to hear, what do you remember about that first experience for you and how you grew through that?
1: Well, I, but I can tell you is when I when I think it was really good, I went up as, you know, whether you call yourself associate coach or an assistant coach, I went up as the number two guy. And the mm-hmm. person in front of me had a lot of experience. And he wasn't a huge X's and O's guy. He had a really solid system. Uh, it was simple. And, and, and number one, that was the first thing I learned was that, you don't have to have the most intricate system. You just have to have a system where everybody's on the same page and, and believes in it and doing it. Um, but he, yeah. but he taught me a lot of other things about just, you know, managing the team and leading and, and, and I can tell you that I, you know, I was ready when I left there after that year. And and that's something I think as a coach uh since that point, I haven't had a lot of, mentorship that way. I've always kind of, I've been a head coach other than when I went to the American League and, and and I had, you know, I, I, the first time I went up to Hamilton with Jeff Ward and Joe Patterson, and then I moved over to Grand Rapids and, uh, and I had Dan Cole. I learned a lot and I, and I wish I had a little bit more of that because sometimes I had to figure things out on my own, make mistakes. And, you know, you, I'm still doing that. I'm still making those mistakes, but sure. at the same, at the same time, you, you know, if you have to, you know, in that case, what you have to do is you have to be smart about it and you have to you have to make sure that you're learning from your mistakes and you got your eyes and your ears wide open and you're, and you're, and you're aware of what's going on. Um, but I could tell you that I always think to make a jump to a new level, it's not a bad thing to go as an assistant one year, two years, whatever it takes. Um, yeah. you know, and just, just see how other people do it and, and see, you know, why, why are they're, they're successful and why they've been doing it, you know, doing it for so long. And there, there's something about experience because I think, you know, um, we're, we're in an era where a lot of young guys are getting a chance early. Like back in, in our day, it was really hard to move from tier two junior eight, to the OHL. Now it's a little bit easier. And I like to think that people have paved the way for that. But at the same time, um, you know, experience is experience and people get better from it, you know, when they make mistakes or they get fired and, you know, and they learn from it and, and, and they're able to reinvent themselves. And I think that's part of coaching is, you know, the ability to reinvent yourself, um, and grow with the game and grow with the new generations. Yeah, exactly,
0: and and I'd love to talk more about uh, the two things. Like, it, let's touch a little bit more on how you felt you've reinvented yourself over the years. Like, what are some of the examples that where you grew as a coach and you did reinvent yourself? And then I want to come back to uh, the,
1: the moving up to the American League. I'd love to hear your take on that. I have a specific sure. question for that. But well, I think I think for me as a young coach coming up that didn't play, you know, pro hockey, um, you know, early on, I had to be very demanding. And I think it kind of set the persona of how I'm still kind of seen today. You know, he's a pretty tough coach. He, he pushes people. And I think when the players, you know, do get to know me and the guys that do come in and, you know, they're, they're, they're really solid teammates. They can really see that other side of me. But, you know, I think as a co, as I got older and more experienced and had more success, I've realized that, you know, there's not, I don't have a lot to prove. You know, I just have to be myself um yeah but but what i have to do is you know what i've always tried to do is, is get to know my players you know i can can almost tell you you know remember most of the players that have ever played for me even on short-term call-up stuff and i've always kind of you know uh quietly taken a, a an interest in their in their life and their ongoings but at the same time i think the things that i've been trying to do i think when i i you know after spending eight or nine years in in the ahl i went back to major junior and i say go back it's yeah. It's not really going back. It's a heck of a league. It's right. very high pro pro profile, a lot of great yeah. coaches, Um tremendous players. But it was really good for me in a couple of ways. One, the OHL does such a – Dave Branch and Ted Baker do such a great job in making it a great spot, a safe spot for players in development. And mm. the league is so well run that way. But there's so much expectation on – um you know, things such at the beginning of the season, you kind of have a, a, a work list of things that you have to make sure you're doing before the season and turning it in. You know, one of them is, you know, is, um, a player safety meeting with someone from the league. You show them, show them the video. You go through it. You talk about scenarios and, and case studies. You then have, um, a community, you know, police officer who comes in and talks to them about, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of growing up in, in a community, the things that, you know, that can, you know, prey upon you, you know, drugs and, you know, the things mm-hmm. with, you know, that can get you in trouble on social media and at school. And we have long talks about that. And, and, and then, and now, you know, is the ongoing um education uh, with, excuse me, with mental health, you know, they have the uh, yes. Canadian Mental Health yeah. Association come in and, you do a, you do a couple hour course on that. And I got the opportunity to do that a couple of years. And you know, it, it certainly doesn't make you an expert and you don't have the ability to, you know, to, to thoroughly, you know, uh, identify these factors, but you can, you can start to help identify it and see if someone, someone you think may need some help. You can, you can kind of reach out and kind of try to get someone some support. And you know, so there's a lot of different hats you have to wear. And I think it really helps, yeah. you know, it helps you prepare. Uh, for what we're going to encounter, you know, getting as we get to know more about our players. And then, and then the other thing I think was really good for me coming back to pro from, from major junior was the ability to see, you know, the modern athlete, you know, how they think, mm-hmm. how they talk, the, you know, how they're, you know, how they're motivated, um, what drives them, you know, where their passions are. And I think that those are things as coaches that, you know, and, and, you know, when you're 20 years in the National Hockey League, that's great. Um, but through that, you're probably going through, you know, two or three generations of players. And as they grow, you know, they're, they're, they're much different from each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And, you know, that, that's a huge point right there right? is that what is your perspective on that of like, what's the new age athlete of like, what are those changes that have occurred now? Well, when we look at that, we're like, you know, this is the new age athlete, right? This is, this is when we look at that. This is who that is. What, what would you give, like some of those concepts, so people cannot have a good understanding of the, how it's changed?
1: Well, um, obviously, we're we're in the social media, the information age, technology, mm-hmm. and and I remember, you know, Mike Babcock. We had a long talk one time about you know someone made a comment about overcoaching, and he said, "I don't think we can overcoach anymore." He said, "Our our players now have access to information instantaneously. They want it. Mm-hmm. They cre- they crave it." They, um, they need it. And so our job as coaches is to give them the information they need. You know, it's not sitting up there for an hour in front of the group, but it's give them the information, let them take in and do with it what they want. And, you know, an example of that is analytics, you know, to have yes. all this stuff out there. And and I think as coaches, it can be a little bit overwhelming and, you know, we pick several things that, you know, we're going to, you know, show to the team using our goal setting, um, Give them feedback, whether it's between periods, post game, next morning, uh, through the week. But then there's a whole bunch more that we have access to as coaches that we use, you know, to help, you know, uh, in our decision making and 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 formulation of our plans. So, um, but I think I think the biggest thing today is is that one players are more more when you sit down with them uh, and you get them away from those phones, they they mm-hmm. aren't they are not afraid to communicate. They will talk a little bit a little bit more Mm. about their, their feelings. They, they, um, they're more, they're more in tune with, with technology. You know, if you can, if you can, um, you know, you know, now we have access to all our shifts after post game on, uh, you know, we can, we can send them to their phone. So when they're sitting on the bus, um, they can watch them and believe me, they want to watch them. But what, what the challenge I think as a coach is, is what we try to do is get them to watch them, you know, much like, I talked about watching those those Leaf games. Don't watch them as a fan now, you know. Oh, did you see my toe drag there? But but watch and say, hey, listen, I was I really liked what I did there, and I got to continue to do that. And over here, I need a little bit of work tomorrow in practice. And so what we'll do with with players is I try to sit down at least each week with with all the players, or or at least me with the forwards and and the defensive coach with the defense. And sometimes we'll meet individually. Sometimes it'll be as a line or a D pairing. And, and but yeah. what I want them to do is I want them to watch the shifts. Take a couple notes and say, you know, at, you know, the third, the third video clip, I did a really good job of driving to the net and stopping and getting the rebound. I got to continue to do that. And on the other side of it, you know, the sixth clip, um, I let up on my back check. I got to continue to work on it. So then when he comes in and says, I really like this. And, you know, as a coach, you know, now we know that they're engaged. Now we know that they're, that they've, they've invested themselves in a bit instead of just coming in and kind of, sleepwalking through your video presentation, you know, they're invested in it. So I kind of try to get the players to take some ownership on that point.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And how much have you seen that support, you know, your message? Because sometimes coaches can feel like their players are checking out or not buying in and stuff like, that. like how do Like, how do you ensure that if you're sensing that about a player to get them to buy in? Anything that you've experienced that...
1: You could share that in that regard. Well, I, I think it's really important that, you know, the first thing that you, that you do as a leader is, is you, you show them, you show them that it's important to you, you know, yes. and you, and you make, you make, you know, the accountability, accountability lie within that. And, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and that these are things that are going to be, you know, rewarded, so to speak. Hey, if you know, if you, right. if you take care of these things and you show attention to detail and you work on these things and, you know, and, and I remember I got, I had a chance to go over to, um, uh, to Russia, uh, three, three years, uh, in the summer and help with, uh, Pavel Datsuk, uh, his camp in, in Yekaterinburg with Jay and, um, mm. uh, Todd Woodcroft. And we were sitting nice. one night and, and, uh, you know, after working with the wings and, 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 and working with Mike, you know, he's a top notch coach and he's very demanding and he pushes. And I said that to Pavel, I said, you know, how do you, how did you, you know, how do you function? You're, you know, you're a very cerebral, smart, intelligent player who's competitive, you know, and sometimes guys like that like to be left alone. But, you know, Mike is very demanding. How do you function and survive that way? He goes, it's easy. I figure out what's important to him and what are the non-negotiables? And I do them. And from that point, he gives me the ability to go out and do the things that I like to do. And I think that's so important for, Boom. for, for young players to figure out. Yes. It's not that the coach is. In most cases, it's overbearing, but there has to be someone that, that, that guides the group that has those non-negotiable structure uh points, and and everybody's got to, you know, I saw DJ Smith talk about it yesterday, and he said, they asked him about Bobby Ryan, and he said, hey, he's a great player, and it's I know it's tough on him, but he said, on our team, everybody has to back check. Everybody has to compete for pucks, you know, and there was a strong message there. These are my non-negotiables. Yeah, I love that. I love and that. Well, there's one other point. Like you asked me about, um, you know, other things I've done to kind of yep. grow with the game. And, you know, one of the things I tried to do recently because, you know, one of the things that's always been kind of said about me is that I'm a very passionate, intense guy and very, very vocal with referees <laughs> on the, on the ice and, 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 and very demanding. So. What I've tried to do is was was uh, get after that point. And say, okay, yeah, it's a, it's an era now where coaches aren't standing and yelling and on the bench, and they're not doing this and that. How do I improve my emotional intelligence? How do I get stronger in that yes. department? And so, um, one of the things that I've I've always been a big fan of leadership, whether it's in the in the military, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's in business world, whether it's in the athletics, and uh, so I, I've actually just completed uh, after two years. It's a six six course uh, certificate program online through cornell uh university on the psychology of leadership and awesome. and all the six courses went went over you know you know some, one was you know managing your emotions one was how to influence and get people you know to to do you know what's important for the team how to build a strong cohesive team these are things that i think are really relevant you know not just in in the <clears throat> coaching world but also in, in the yeah. world of business and most of the people in my classes, I think I was the only professional coach um, in there, but I had military people, CEOs, a lot of HR people. So you can see the crossover, you know, from business to business that, that this is important nowadays. It's not just in, you know, in the sports world.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love that outside the box and innovative thinking, right? It's it's amazing how, you know, because that's one of the things that I know I'm always searching is other sports take, you know, look at, okay, how are they moving what kind of decisions, what kind of coaching are they doing? But also myself, I actually went I got certified in doing a uh, strength finders and I became a strength finders coach inside of what I do with our mental development. And it was interesting being in there, same thing, all these, you know, major leaders, VPs, CEOs. And that's one of the things I found fascinating was that there aren't other sport coaches in there utilizing these methods. And it's so important because like, I'd love to hear what your experience was like as you were going through it. How much were the fireworks going off while you were going through that leadership course and how much you were creating that connection to how this can apply to your hockey coaching? Like, how I mean, literally it must have just been amazing just to go through that experience and how many things you are like, I can implement that here. I can implement that here. Like talk about that experience.
1: Well, I've always, <clears throat> I've always thought, and I've had players tell me, I've, you know, I've, I did those, those things at the end of the year where you, you don't know, play guys, you know, give me, give me five things you like about, you know, the, our, our team, five things you'd improve. Uh, what are the strengths of, of, you know, me as a coach and what are my weaknesses? Don't put your name on it. And I always remember one, one thing that, you know, Greg's strength is his passion and his intensity. And at the same time he said, one of my weaknesses was my, my passion and my intensity. So <laughs> there, there's a red flag there saying, Hey, it's a good thing, but you cross that line and you've got to learn how to manage it. And, and, and I think. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Uh, you know, like, like in today's world, like if, like I always believe in, in, in practice having a 50% fail rate because then it's, then it's, then it's hard enough, but it's too hard to, to master it. You know, you got to keep pushing. And, and, Mm -hmm. but one of the, and, and so that was important for me. The other side of it was, you know, in, you know, in dealing with people in, in the business world and how this course was set up. It's not like a locker room where you can, you know, go in the locker room and guys can call each other out and get at, get after. You can't do that in an office environment. So it's a little bit, I don't want to say softer, but a little bit more gentle. And, and so that was perfect because, you know, in, you know, in, in terms of the, the, the part where, um, the, they talked about, you know, how to get people, you know, influence people, uh, and motivate them, um, you know how to get them to move in the right direction. That's going to, have to help the team have success. You know, it's it's not saying, "Hey, we're going to do this, and you better follow it, or you're not going to play." That doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Um, no, you know, exactly. It,
1: it, you know, and it, and a lot of times it's it's getting people to take ownership, invite their ideas, get them to think it's their idea, or utilize their ideas. It's it's finding out what what. You know, motivates them and, and, you know, how, ha- and, and then use that to drive the team forward. But I can tell you that about halfway through the course, I'd taken one, uh, one course and, and, and right away that season, two seasons ago, something reared its head where I used everything from that course and it helped our team have success. And I'll tell you what happened was we had, um, we've been playing really good after the Olympic break. We had five guys on our team go play in the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, going back a little further, we had a great season start, December the 8th or, or so. I can always remember the date, but because I had a meeting with our GM and we talked about it, was our team was a few points out of first place. We were we were really coming along really well. And then mm-hmm. after that, we got a couple players back off that had been on long-term IR, threw our chemistry off, uh, threw our lines off, and we kind of went up and down a little bit. We also hit some injuries. We go into the Olympic break. Those five guys go off. We go up to San Maritz. Um, and I'm coaching in Lugano at the time, by the way. And, and, um, you know, in Switzerland. So we go to Sam Ritz and we play an outdoor, uh, exhibition tournament. And we've got, you know, Munich, Munich is there. They're the German DEL champions. We got HC Pilsen, which is a top team out of Czech Czech Republic ourselves and Cloten, who was in the Swiss A league as well at the time. And, um, we go through some trials and tribulations how we want to play there and but we, we you know we 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 really pushed it hard and we end up winning the tournament we we come out feeling good about ourselves the guys came back from the, the olympic break and we started to play real well again And we had a really good push down the stretch and we felt good going into playoffs well uh with two games the second last game of the season we we travel up to play in davos and during the game uh it's kind of c- catastrophe hits we lose our captain, our top defenseman, big physical, puck moving guy who's really important to us. We lose probably the top Swiss skilled player in the league in Damian Brunner and our top right winger and Daryl Bergler, um, the mm. top scoring right winger at the time. And they're all really, really big, big pieces puzzle on the docks as they're done for the year. So we've you know, we've you know, after that game, we've only got you know, one game left for going in the playoffs. And you know, the next next morning The, you know, internet and the papers are saying our season's over. We might as well not even go into playoffs. We have no chance. And, um, so, so basically I used some things from the courses and one of them was, you know, to get people to, you know, to understand how to overcome some obstacles, you got to look at what they've done in the past and you've got to use positive examples you've got to have a set plan as a leader you've got to have a plan and let them know that you know where you're going and where you believe you're going to get, get to so that's what we did I called the coaches in early next morning they said guys here's what's going to happen we've lost two guys out of our leadership group we're going to move these two guys in these are going to be the lines you know um, and we're going to go in and talk to the team well we we discussed it but this is what we came out with we're going to go in and we're going to talk to the team and we're going to have a, a plan bang 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 and we're going to show, so I walked in, I said, guys, you know, like, like we've always believed in the Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, next guy up. We've never, we've never yeah. hung our heads. We've had a lot of injuries this year. And, and how do I know we're going to have success? Because we've done it before, because everybody in the room has always stepped up into another role and had the ability uh, and the mindset to be able to handle the, that, 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 that uh, role. And as a team, we function very, very well. And I gave them three examples. And then I, I threw some clips up from when we went through that adversity, we had that prepared and said, this is how we've played. This is who we are. And this is what we're going to do. And, um, I can tell you that we didn't miss a beat. We ended up, we ended up going to the finals. We lost one nothing, uh, well, two nothing with an empty netter, but really one nothing in, uh, in game seven of the championship, uh, against mm-hmm. Zurich. And, uh, it was yeah. an, uh, one of the most unbelievable runs I've been on to see a team, um, be able to overcome that adversity. And it was something that I, that I gained by, taking that course and I was able to apply it. And so for me, you know, the moral of the story is always be evolving, always be grow growing, yeah. you know, have that growth mindset. That's why I go to, you know, talk to other coaches and, you know, and, and I, and I'll tell you what, I, I, where I learned that was working in the Detroit system with with you know guys like Todd McClellan and Paul McClain mm-hmm. and Mike, Mike Babcock and Jay Woodcroft was, you know, they were always searching out, You know, people of, of leadership position in other industries, other sports, uh, you know, what do you do here? Like when I went to, um, coach in San Antonio for Phoenix's farm team, I remember Mike Babcock calling me about a month in and he said, Hey, what's, uh, you know, you know, how's Greg Popovic? What's he do? How does he handle, you know, um, you know, those guys there? What's he, what makes, you know, what makes them so good? You know, and, Mm. and, and there, and there's a guy that's at the top of his game, um, you know, and and yet he wants to know what other people are doing. And, and to me, that was a strong message as, as a young coach learning um from somebody that, you know, listen, you've always got to have your head on a swivel and you've always got to be growing.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. Amen. You know, what I love about that too is um what I find interesting is you, know, you were already just over a decade head coaching and stuff like that. And, you know, we come back to that. What was that like for you you know, moving in and being an assistant for a couple of years, what, what did you find was, did you deal with any challenges coming in? Like, obviously you're around these amazing people and that can be very inspiring, but did you face those challenges of, Hey, I've I've been running the ship for so long and the residue of that, how did, how did that feel?
1: No, not at all. I think for me, what what I've always believed in is it's like a player you take on, you know, various roles at different times and, and you have to be willing to jump in with both feet. And, and again, it's that you know that mentorship thing you, you sometimes you have to seek it out as well like hey listen i do these things and you know let's face it we're we're all human sometimes you do something you're like is that is that, is that the best way to do it, or could I do better? How, am I doing the same thing as as other people are doing? And and you know, we all ask ourselves those questions as much as some some of us sometimes put that front on. You know, we want to we we want to do it the right way, and we want to see how others are doing it. So it's a chance to do it. It's a chance to be in a support role. Um, you know, maybe not be the the vocal the, the voice as much. Um, I think it's for me. It, you know, it's it's just like a player. We expect yes. players to take on different roles in their career at different times during the season you know, whatever, whatever supports the team. And I think that's the attitude I, I take is, you know, I, I think it's important, um, you know, that we, we look at how and we learn from other people, how they do things. And maybe, you know, maybe sometimes it's, Hey, I, that's a good way, but I wouldn't use that down the road or I would maybe change it or I adapt, you know, or it's better than what I did. And, you know, at the same time, you're always there to support somebody and, and learn how to be, you know, maybe the second or the third guy, as opposed to the guy that's out in front. And, you know, let's face it, we all, we all, even though we sometimes put up these walls and fronts, we all sometimes go through, you know, looking in the mirror and going, geez, am I doing that the right way or is that the best way possible or, you know, is my standard as good as others? And, you know, I, and I think I think it's another way to grow. You know, that's 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 basically my what drives me now is how do I grow to be the best know, coach, I can be whether it's as an assistant, whether it's as a head coach, um, you know, whatever whatever that is. Is I want to I want to grow in this game to be to be, you know, the best I can be, and keeping an open mind and reaching out and talking to other coaches or going to watch other teams and you know and and other leaders and other fields and you know. So I think it's all part of the process.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know you had brought up also about um, you know dealing with Navy SEALs when you talk about the best you can be. We'd we'll love to hear some of that experience. I well, I've away. always
1: kind of been a fan of you know of the military and been in some situations, whether it's in Dayton or in San Antonio, where we had a strong military presence and been able to to sit down and talk to people and learn. But I've always always loved how you know, like when when you look at you know um, whether it's you know Army Rangers and you know Navy Seals, um, you know those the elite of the elite. I mean, it's not, it's not the fighting part. It's not the, it, it's the mindset. It's the training. It's the, mm-hmm. you know, how they handle pressure consistently, how they get mm-hmm. in and, and, you know, they, they work, they work together, um, to do their job. And, and, and we had the opportunity while I was in, uh, in Owen Sound for, for four years, we went over to the, um, in Meeford to the army base and we were able to, um, to do, to do some team bonding and some training and we stayed for four or five days and, we rappelled off of, uh, off towers. We, you know, we did, you know, we, we did team building things. We interacted with the, with the, uh, soldiers there. But one of the, the neatest things that we got to do was, they had a Quonset hut out uh, out the side down the back, and, it, and it, inside it was all these these rooms. They they had designed different different scenarios, whether it's a housing complex or an apartment building, um, and and you know the leaders could sit up top and watch through the chicken wire. And they taught the guys how 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 you know they they um, they take down teams and they work in different you know whether it's a four man stack or a five man stack, and everyone has a role. You know the first guy is the breacher, and they all line up behind, and the back guy. Was when he's ready, taps the so next guy on the shoulder and then and so on. And then that sends a, a quiet message to the to the breacher. They're ready to go in. And when they go in, they all have a role. First guy rolls right, second guy rolls left, they 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 take that room and if the guy in front goes down, it's the next man up. But one mm-hmm. of the, the neat things that, that I was reading recently um about the Navy SEALs and the recruiting process and how they're training and now that they you know they used to have SEAL team six, which was the elite of the elite you know when you're when you're on a team in the navy seals and you were really good you were asked to try to go on seal team 6 well now they call it devgru and um you know they they did a study on what makes the best navy seal and you know in the past you know been guys coming out of you know the army who had been former athletes football players and and you know and such big strong tough guys that you know could handle the endurance and, and of course you would think that it would be swimmers but they one of the things that was identified was was chess players you know, guys that could think well under pressure, be able to, you know, be able to take the pressure that's thrown at them and still think and be two and three steps ahead. And, and I and I and I reason that struck a chord with me is because you know that term I used earlier. We tell our guys be be chess players, not checker players. Be be thinking three to four steps and how your move now is going to impact you down the road. And and I thought that was really relevant to you know to, to hockey players. I think that's what what makes our sport so good is it. You know, our guys are able to think under pressure. They don't get a lot of stoppages. You know, football, you stop and start. Um, You know, in basketball, you get a ton of timeouts. Baseball is very linear. It's, you know, it's based off each pitch and then it stops. And, you know, so I think in hockey, we have a very special game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. And when you when you talk about that part, right, I think one of the things that's really interesting about that piece, right, is sometimes people look at, well, Navy SEALs, there's just only a few people you know, in the world that really want to think that way and go that deep and all that stuff. But you know, there's a lot of lessons to take away from the environmental factors of of being around that and seeing that, right? And I think one of the things with like youth coaches, so if a youth coach is listening to this or somebody that's dealing with that, right, what would you say would be some of the things that you could take away from, hey, dealing with the best of the best, but how do I actually develop that inside of my practice environment? Like, what are the things that a youth coach could take away? The simple stuff, the the stuff that's like, hey, you know what, Start with this. Focus on this. What do you, what would you say would be some of the things that culturally, if you're going to develop, focus on these things for your culture and, and for your leadership? What would you say? Well, would be? well, I
1: think, I think the one thing is, is that one, we have to trust our players. We have to know that they're, that they have the ability to figure things out. You know, we, we okay. don't have to lay out the whole plan for them. We don't always have to be talking in practice. So the one thing I would say to, say to you is, is to them is, is, you know, make your practices you know, high intensity. Don't go to the whistle a lot. Don't go to the board a lot. Like before the practice outline two or three drills, uh, for Mm -hmm. them, you know, um, usually as coaches, we have names for drills. So if we can, you know, if we've already outlined, you know, two or three in the room, and now we're on the fourth and fifth, we can say, Hey, you know, we're going to the multi drive, drive guys. Remember we did Mm -hmm. it last time. And, you know, these are the key things. Let's go. You guys in that corner, you guys here on the whistle, boom. And, you know, I think one of the things that you you in in, in bad in your practice is, is uh you know um you are you're, you're building in uh your cardiovascular training. You know, you don't have to line up yeah. and do boards at the end because you're going at a high intensity rate and they just get their breath and they're going again. You know, keep your drill drills short, crisp and 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 you know, really drive practice with the intensity that you bring. The other thing is is put decision making in a lot of your drills. You know, if you yeah. you know and don't tell them what you want them to figure it out. You know, you know, line it up. Here we go. Boom. And, you know, like it might be something where, you know, you have the defenseman at the top of the circle. You put a four checker, a stick length off them, and you give them, you know, one guy that one outlet pass. And you can vary up, you know, don't tell them where the outlet pass is going to be. You know, tell that guy, hey, listen, move, move. You know, at one time be in the low center position, another time be on the wall. You know, you know. Then maybe you throw a D. A, you know, you don't tell him, but you throw a D partner, and he's got to get it to him on a on an escape off the off the net. And and so he's got to kind of go back and figure it out under pressure. And that's that's something that I think you can take from you know how how they do things and you know and then and I think that the the one thing that's really hard to get on the ice. It's amazing how much. Players in the room. When you walk into a locker room, how loud it is, and how much they're they're laughing and joking and singing. Mm-hmm. And you put them on the ice, and they don't talk. We've got to we've got <laughs> to exactly. find ways to com- you know invite communication into our into our team setting, you know, um okay. in So I think that's really important for us as well. And you know, and, and then I, I think the other thing is is get your players involved. Talk to them on uh every couple of weeks and Hey, what drills did you like? Why? Well, what, you know, what, you know, what about this drill? What would you do different? Why, you know, like get some feedback from them because sometimes what we think looks good on paper doesn't, you know, there's many a times where I'll grab a drill and then I'm like, ah, I don't like it. But if I took that drill and I took part of that drill and we, and we added this to it and all of a sudden you've got the, you know, you've got a better, um, mm. you know, example of what to do, you know? So sometimes you have to be open-minded that way.
0: Well, and that's one of the things you couldn't have uh, ended that sentence more beautifully with the open-minded piece. One of the things I loved about your career is, you know, the fact that you did move on to Europe and you and you went over to Switzerland. And I'd love to hear more about that, about you know, that open-minded piece, because I think that's one of the things that really stops the progression, the growth of a lot of coaches. Is that I've got my way. This is the way it is. The players, oh, they've they've changed, but you know what? They got to figure it out. And you just, you stall the ability of the culture to move forward and grow when you think that way, right? And so I'd love to hear culturally. What was it like of to go from the North American game to then head over there to Switzerland? Like what was that? Was there the chat? Was there any challenges? Was there any, wow, this is refreshing. What did you find was really interesting about that experience to go from here to there? Like what were some of the differences that right away you could see in, in the personnel and the experience there?
1: Well, first of all I would tell you that, you know, when I tell people I've coached in Europe they kinda of like oh, okay, yeah, you know, it's not the American League, it's not the NHL, it's not the it's not Major Junior and I can tell you this that you know, that that um the hockey is, is excellent. You know, and, and yeah. you know, whether you're in Germany, Austria, Russia, Sweden, Finland, Switzerland, you know, the hockey's excellent and it's really coming. And that's what I tell young players here, like especially the guys that grew up in the big centers, you know, Detroit. Chicago, Toronto, Montreal, Boston, you know, there's kind of, we ha- we, as young players, we have this arrogance. Well, I'm playing in the GTHL in Toronto, right. you know, Toronto Marlies. It's the best league in the world. Like, I'm going to get to the National Hockey League because, you know, John Tavares came through before me and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and Connor McDavid came through and, you know, but I could tell you that there's some guy in Siberia. Up in Omsk, who's playing in the backyard Mm -hmm. rink, getting up early, chopping wood for his dad, and helping with the cows, and no different than in Prince, you know, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and and Mm -hmm. there's you know there's even you know even now we're looking in other countries, whether it's in 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 Italy or in as I said in in the mountains in Switzerland, like you you know there's some tremendous players coming from everywhere, and that's that's the funny thing. But what I could tell you was. The culture shock was a couple things. One is the fan support. It's, it's unbelievable when you get these derby oh, games awesome. between, between our tribe and there's no better. I can tell you, there's no better derby game than between Lugano and Ombre. Uh, mm. Ombre Piota is a little, it's, it's not, it's a village. I think there's maybe 150 people in the village. There's a gas station, a restaurant and like a, a little hotel. I didn't even call it a hotel. It's like an old house converted to about eight, eight bedrooms. Um, <laughs> but every night they get over 7,000 people every single night into this. And they come from over top of the mountains and they come from these little villages. And I've never seen an intensity like that ever in my life. And, uh, it was really neat. Like what, what would happen when we went to play in their rink, we would get there and, you know, you take your bag off the bus and you, and you, you, uh, you're usually just walk into the rink and go in the room. Well, they would do is keep the door locked till our whole team was ready and once we're ready the police would open the door and we'd go in and they have the fans the the ultras which is like football you know like the soccer fans the hooligans and and they all take up the one end of the, you know there's there's you know 2,500 of them well they're all waiting for us this is two two hours two hours 15 minutes before the game they're there waiting and um and then they start singing and chanting and rocking the building, and you know our young guys are looking up, going, "Holy jeez!" You know, it's. It, I thought it was cool, like you know, like you. I got in this game to to see everything, and you know, but to see that intensity and that rivalry, and then then when we're leaving one night, they're throwing rocks at our bus, and you know, there's a real <laughs> there's a real passion and hatred towards the opposition. But but what I can tell you from a coaching standpoint, the things that, that you encounter is that um. You know, like last year in our room number one, we had seven different languages, seven different nationalities. Now, wow. not everybody spoke English very well. And I had to make sure that I, uh, I try to speak clear and concise and, um, but I can ramble on at times. So I have to make sure that I circle back with that player and make sure that he really understands what I said. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to get. You know, one language in the room. In most most cases, in most countries, even Russia, like if you've got English guys, you're trying to speak, you know, trying to speak English on in the ice and in the room. But then, of course, if you have two guys from, say, Finland, they're over in the corner speaking Finnish. It's just, just they go to what they know, and you're and you're trying to remind them to say, guys, speak English, because what you want to do is be inclusive. You want everybody. You don't want guys thinking, oh, they're over in the corner talking about me, or talking about the coach, or they're talking about their teammates when they're probably not, but you want to take that impression away. So that's a challenge at times. See, the other thing is, is that you have to remember that the people that are running the teams, they don't have the hockey background that say someone in the AHL or the NHL would have, you know, they, they, Mm. they didn't play hockey for a long time. They didn't learn, but they're running this team and they're in charge of it and they're going to make the decisions and they're going to, they're, they're going to influence, you know, the, the, the direction of the team and, and, and you have to learn how to manage them. You have to learn how to communicate and get your opinion across. And, you know, and, and a lot of times the, the blueprint for the people over there is soccer. You know, they see how things are done in the soccer world. It's very volatile. Right. You know, if mm. you, you can, you can win a bunch of games, but if you lose one and someone, someone's head's got to roll. And, and, yeah. you know, so there's a lot more coach firings over there. There's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the imports and in, in, in Switzerland. Yeah. There's only allowed four imports in the league. So when you come over, they expect you to put up, you know, two or three, three points every night as an import. And, and, and listen, that's just, it's just not possible. The, the hockey's right. too good. So, um, you know, if the team loses and the import doesn't score, he could play a great game. He could be strong in the penalty kill, strong in, you know, faceoffs, ring three off the post, but everybody's calling for them to get rid of him and get a new guy.
0: Wow. Wow. That's an amazing pressure yeah it's fascinating right? of like just how the difference is and and what an opportunity for you to grow your skill set right just understand how to manage that the one language and how to make sure to speak to culturally the management it's uh It's fascinating of how those skills then apply well, to you
1: the other thing of the other thing it's a huge challenge and it's funny I'm watching the, the media here in Toronto and now. Even more closely, but I I coached in you know in, in Mannheim, Germany, and in and Lugano, Switzerland, and, and a, a friend of mine that's a GM over there made a joke. He said you couldn't have picked two of the tougher places in terms of fans and media, but the media is is tricky too because
0: mm.
1: you know there's there's two elements to it. Number one, they're looking for you to say something. Where that they can sell a newspaper, it's almost like the National Enquirer type way that they yeah. sell their their papers, and they want to create controversy. So if you kind of come out and say, you know, you know, our, our our top line wasn't good tonight; they were minus six, and we expect more of them over here in North America. You know, people are like, all right, there's a refreshing change. You, you know, they're challenging their best players, and the players kind of get it. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I don't believe in selling anyone out in the media. Like, I never, I never do that. I think that's why I've been okay with the media there. Um, I'll take a player one-on-one and in the media, like, I'll, you know, whether I always talk about us as a team or myself, you know, hey, blame me. That's yeah. the system and that type of thing. Yeah. But they're always looking to try to create controversy. So you have to watch what you say. And after every game, there's a, there's usually a post media, um, uh, conference where you sit down with the other coach and then you, you give your statement on how you think the game went. And then then the, then the the reporters have at you, and um, you know usually they go after the losing coach. The winning coach isn't as big a story, so they'll go after the losing coach more. Mm-hmm. And you've got to watch yeah. what you say. And and yeah. in Germany it was really different because before I went out I was kind of given a rundown: don't talk about this, talk about this, you know. And and I, and I'll be honest with you, I got sick of hearing myself after about five interviews because it was the same thing, and I didn't feel I was being genuine. And uh, and mm-hmm. I could be genuine because it would hurt the team, and and that's a different thing. And. Um, you know, then they'll try to get players and take things that they said. And all no, the player doesn't like the coach. He doesn't like his ice time. And so you're always trying to, trying to manage that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that managing piece is an interesting part as a coach because you're always learning the different parts of how to manage, you know, life in general as a coach. And I love to kind of switch gears to, you know, how have you taken away what you've learned from a coaching standpoint? How is it in managing and even coaching? You know, I see you have a couple boys and stuff like that. You know, tell let's talk about that experience as a parent, being a coach, you know, learning so many things through that culture. How did that how did that filter over to you parenting and then even coaching your own boys and stuff like that? How what was that experience like for you coming up?
1: Well, to be honest with you, I kind of went the other way. I took my parenting experience as I grew from as a parent and learned, you know, how to how to be a better father all the time. I took that and tried to apply it to My coaching you know and and, you know and and as much as maybe some players over the years don't feel that like every guy that if you put on the uniform for me and you you go to war and you battle you're my guy and 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 and, um you know like i'll push and i'll drive and i'll ask more because i think you're capable of it but i'm always going to be there to defend you and 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 uh as as i as i went through it i always looked at it you know how how would i want my son handled and and, and, you know, how did I do this as a, as a parent? So I tried to go the other way and, and, and coach, you know, like, like I would parent and, and it wasn't always perfect. You know, there's no manual. That's the funny thing is in both of those, you know, yeah. whether it's being a father or a parent or, you know, being a coach, there's no real education process for us to go through it. And there's no, you know, like university course. It's, it's trial and error. And I remember Drew, Drew Bannister coming to me. When he was going to take the Sue job, he'd been, been working with me as an assistant for, for three years. And he said, you know, do you think I'm ready? It was a great question because not a lot of guys would ask it. And I said, you know, Drew, it's like parenting. Were you ready when your first child came? He's like, no, but I, mm-hmm. I learned on the fly and I said, well, that's coaching. You know, you're, you, mm-hmm. er, you know, even when you're 10 years in, there's going to be something pop up that's never happened before and you're going to try and say, is this the right thing? And you, down the road, you're either going to like it and, and adapt, adapt to it or you're going to change it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm a parent listening um, and taking away, you know, some advice, what would you give of, because I love the adaptability part, right? That's such an important piece that I feel like as coaches, you need that, as players, you need that, you know, but as parents, right, adapting to the situation where, because it's such a different experience for them, right, where they're, and one of the things we always talk about in our culture and we talk to parents about and we try to portray social media wise or whatever and put it out there is that. You know, your kid for the most part is the expert and you're the one driving, you're driving the vehicle, but they are the vehicle that is basically going. And that's really hard for parents because a lot of them haven't experienced the game, don't have that depth that, you know, their child who might be a AAA player where it's like, well, you're giving advice to your kid in some ways how to play, but your kid already knows more than you on that end. What advice would you give to parents like as they're coming up of, especially ones that are dealing with the high pressure and high intensity? You know, how can they help to support and feel like they're a part of it without feeling like they needed to overdo it or over coach in their own or over parent, right? In their own way.
1: Well, it's funny. Like when I, when I first started coaching out of, out of university and I was doing it, there was something that I did that back then being a, a young, young, cocky coach was one early in the season. I put, I had our parents, come out. you usually have a parent son game, but before the parent son, I put them through a couple of drills, you know, very simple mm-hmm. stuff. And, yeah. you, and it's humorous to watch. They can't catch a pass. They can't do this. They can't oh, do yeah. that. You know, and then after the, after it, I went in the dressing room and I just said, listen, you know, our guy, our, your, your sons or daughters are going to play their, their, their first AAA game, uh, or they're going to play next week. And after that, they've played a higher hockey level of hockey than most of the people in this room. And secondly, right. you guys went through some of the simplest drills we did out there and, And couldn't couldn't do it. It's hard. It's hard on an eighth and a/ Mm -hmm. inch of steel, and someone bearing down on you, and someone barking at you, Mm -hmm. and the pass is off. And just remember that. You know, I always tell the parents is it, you know, whether your son or daughter is the best on the team or the worst on the team, you don't love them any less. You know, when when a player Mm -hmm. makes a mistake, first of all, most players know it. Their 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 Mm -hmm. line mate tells them, the assistant coach tells them, the head coach probably comes down, and now they're feeling down, and they they don't need to hear it again. They just need a a hug sometimes. you know, and at the end of the day, one of the things that I'm, a, I'm a real big believer in is that we've lost sight of what youth sports should be, whether it's little league baseball or pop warner football or, or, or lacrosse or whatever. You know, back in the day, our parents put us in sports, not because they thought we could make a living off of it. You know, no one ever believed that someone in your group was going to make it to the NHL or, you know, major league baseball. But now parents are driven by that because they, they can, it's big money. And, and at the same time, you know, we were put in the game to learn good values, to learn how to be good citizens, to be good teammates, to work hard, but most importantly, to keep us busy and keep us off the street corner from getting in trouble. And, you know, I I think we have to get back to the value system of what sports is supposed to teach. And it's not just the parents. It's some coaches. I think, I think we've created a, a cottage industry of people wanting to make money off of, off of youth sports now. Like, you know, like when I, even when I coached junior, the first few years, I never got paid a cent. I got a tank of gas every so often. I did it because I loved it. I had no aspirations of doing it for a living, Um, but I loved the game and I loved the message that I was sending, and I believed in it. You know, now we have you know skills coaches and we have mental coaches and we have this and and all that, and that's all well and good. But we're 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 going to price out some 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 people out of the out of the game that can't afford to do that some great athletes right. that, that deserve a chance and you know i think we have to remember what what it's all about we have to take a take a deep breath both as parents as coaches and um if you're if, you know encourage your son to to have the values that are important in sports to work hard you know to to look everybody in the eye and you know, show up on time and you know give your best every shift and when you don't get up and go up go again those are things and if you're if your son or daughter has that in them or it's encouraging them, and they develop, and they develop their skills, then they, they may get a chance. That's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love how, um, you know, from a value system, right, that's one of the things that, I love what you said of you don't love them any less. And I think that's a big part that parents get caught up in is they forget that of, oh, a poor performance or whatever it is, you didn't score, you know, you didn't play on a certain line, and they get so upset, and they forget that most of these kids – If you just basically, hey, you know what, show them the love, show them you're supporting them, that's all your role is. Is like the the players totally respond to that with a parent. That's at the end of the day what the role is. But I think a lot of parents feel like they have to be involved in the performance piece. And I think that's where they make a mistake. And I love how you put that of the value system, I think, is where the role of the parents really comes in, is that are you focusing on the values and not the actual performance of what's going on and focusing more on love? Hard work, look in the eye. I think that's the kind of stuff that in reminding parents like that that's what the role is. You have to make sure mentally you're prepared to keep going back to that place for yourself, so you can lead and pass that back on to your child.
1: Hundred percent. And I can tell you an example. We were we were living in Texas, South Texas, where they take their football and baseball very serious. And I got off the road, mm-hmm. I was coaching, and I got home and. Uh, my youngest son was playing, was playing, uh, baseball and very competitive. Like they, these guys played three seasons and he didn't. He played lacrosse in the summer and, and, uh, baseball and then, then, and then hockey, you know, and, and, you know, so, you know, when these guys were getting ready for their fall baseball, he was going to hockey. And when they were doing their spring baseball, he was coming out of hockey. So he missed it and it would take him a little bit to get going. And, uh, the coach was, was real serious and they come home and my wife said, you better talk to, talk to your son, he, he, he he knows he, he's not going to quit this year, but he doesn't want to play baseball next year. The coach really took a strip off him in front of the guys and embarrassed him. And I think he might've been nine years old, eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, I, of course, as a parent, you're upset. now. What the heck? I'm going to, I am going to address this coach. I'm going to talk to him. And then, and then as I calmed down and took a breath, I thought, well, let's find out what happened. So I said to him, what happened? He said, well, the way I went down for the baseball, you know, the way that you showed me, um, you know, we used to have the one way. Used to go down on the one knee and now they don't, they keep their legs apart and put the glove in between. And so Mm -hmm. the coach really gave it to him. And then, and then he kind of got on to him about something else. And I said, well, it makes sense. You know, if the coach says, that's how you do it, that's what you got to do. And, you know, and, and, and on the other side of it, yeah, you you do have to do that. And and so I, I thought I'll, I'll use this as a, as a is a lesson for him and I said, So I said, let me ask you something. And I said, what bothered you the most? He said, well just that he screamed at me really loud and he was kept going and in front of the guys and I was embarrassed. And I said, Okay, I said, Well let me ask you something. When we're driving to the rink and or driving to the baseball field and the music's on really loud, I said, I can hear you singing in the back, you know all the words to the song, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it can be at ten, and it doesn't matter. You can still understand it. I said, yeah. I said, I said, Well it's the same with the coach. Just turn mm-hmm. the volume down. Listen to the message. To, you know, what's he saying? It doesn't matter if he's talking at a, th- a level three or a level 10. I said, but what I wow. could say to you is that the louder it gets, the more important it is to the coach. So you might want to listen. And so instead of mm-hmm. approaching the coach, I thought, I'm going to use this as a life lesson for my son. And, and I can tell you that to this day, like he, he doesn't get rattled when a coach yells. And, you know, if I had to handle it different, maybe he, he would have. But, you know, I think, I think there's, there's life lessons. And, and at the same time, we also need to be. We also need to be aware because there are, there are, there have been over the years, and you you know, we don't have to say the names, but there have been over the years some, some coaches that have, have taken advantage in, in, in in the wrong way. So as a, as a parent, we do have to protect our children and, and keep a watchful eye and, and be aware of things and educate them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things I love the most about when you hear the stories and read about, you know, Roger and the way he was about the game. And yeah, he was almost to the point of, overprotective of players. Like, he he didn't fit the mold of that win at all costs at the pro level. It was more about the connection part and all that stuff. And um, I know we had talked about that a little bit the other day of, yeah, you said, in starting off with the clinics and stuff like that. Talk about a little bit of your experience with Roger and that spirit of his and stuff like that. I'd love to hear a little bit more.
1: Well, I can, I can just, you know, growing up in, in, in the coaching world, in, in the Toronto area, you, you, you know, you heard a lot about Roger. He was the coach of the Leafs but then he had you know he had been a a, a a tremendous baseball coach in the area with you know he had yeah. the big paper out with all the guys that you know they played baseball for him in the summer and, and hockey for him in the yeah. winter and he and he kept them busy and he kept them off the streets and he gave them guidance and he showed them but i think he looked at himself as a teacher from day one you know he was you know yeah. by trade but 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 by by his coaching standards too by how he conducted himself and he was always you know, you know, we all know the stories. He was way ahead on the video, the rule book. Oh, yeah. He was always searching out different things. We have so many things that he's influenced in the rule book to this day that, you know, people may not even know about. But at the same time, you know, I kind of identified with him early, uh, when I, when I did start to coach one, because I was a, a young coach, um, who, who's, tried to do things you know where I got the team together a lot away from the rank and we did team building and we did things and we'd have road hockey tournaments and and barbecues and things like that and 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 at the same time I was always looking for innovations how to get better like how to you know whether it was using video and how to you know although he you know he had that term I was like this is a great way to teach and how, you know and and mm-hmm. I was always searching out new methods and you know and, and to this day I still do you know, like we we added a couple of years ago, we added a smart board to our room, but before I did that and spent the money, I called up a bunch of coaches and teams that used it and asked them how they implemented it, what they did, and how we could, you know, just to make sure we were doing the best we could. And, you know, so I think that that's something by identifying with him that's always been ingrained in, and in to me is, is exploring out new ways to teach and reach your players uh, looking for, you know, new and innovative ways to give your team a little bit of an edge. And those are things I think that, you know, really influenced me.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. So powerful. And that, you know, that's one of the things that is the common ground between all the great coaches is they're always Trying to figure it out and get better at the process, right? How to how to make it simpler, right? Because the idea is that the more I can figure out those things, the easier it's going to make my process, and the more I can grow in other ways. I open up that room, but that figuring out process is what you find with a lot of great coaches. Is that's the really the driving force. Is like you said, as a teacher, as a lifelong learner, it just it's ingrained. Of like, if you want to be a great coach, you have to want to always learn, be open minded. And those are the beautiful things that I always love hearing about Roger's story and how he influenced and impacted so many other coaches coming up. Because that's the reality, right? That's a, that's the truth of it is that we're going to keep getting better till the day we die. It's just the reality. And if if you're not, you know, it's it's not worth living.
1: Well, there's two things I think that are really important there. One is he he was one of the guys that established coach him and and Scotty. Scotty obviously in, in so many other ways, but Roger and, and that type of those type of coaches, they made coaching a profession. Where previously, like yeah. if you were an ex player and there's a lot of great ex players that have become tremendous coaches. And yeah. and so I don't believe you have to come from any one path. I'm not one of those guys, well, I you know, I'm a non non professional coach. I think I I'd rather, you know, have guys like that. Not at all. You know, everyone, yeah. it's like players, you look at everyone individually, but, but what I mean was, was back then you were just an ex player, you came in, you talked to the players for a few minutes, you went out, you told them what to do, and anybody could do it. But I think what Roger, Roger and, and guys like Scotty did was the way that they, did, you know, the preparation, the, the teaching styles, the methods, the planning, mm-hmm. the yearly planning, you know, they grew the profession so much that now when you're done playing, you know, before becoming that tremendous coach, you've got to go through a learning process. You've got to kind, you've mm-hmm. got to kind of go from player to coach now, and and it's a whole different, it's a whole different way of thinking. And it's funny, I watch guys that you know I used to coach against, and they were a certain type of player. Now they're coaching, and they're they're yeah. the exact opposite as a coach. They would be all over yeah. themselves as a player, but it, it's, it's it's that old story. You don't know until you walk in someone else's shoes. And, it, and yeah. I think that's what they were able to do is make this position such a professional um, career, uh, for, for a lot of people.
0: Mm, That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, it was, um, this was awesome and landing stuff. I, I like to kind of finish off with a couple of little questions and wrap things up, but we look at, so when you look at your coaching days, right. And you start to ask yourself, if I, if I took a look at, okay, I wish I knew then what I know now, what would be something that go back to your younger self and say, Hey, I wish this was a thing, like, figure this out right away. What would that be?
1: Well, I, I think just a little bit more patience. You know, like, I, I think yeah. I got a lot done on my, my, my intensity and drive, my inner drive, and I, you know, let's get things done yesterday. And there, and that's a mm-hmm. great quality to have. But I think sometimes patience, you know, and, and, the, and understanding, you know, and, and where I'm referencing is that player, that struggles with the team concept. I've always been good with the guys that if you're all in, you know, you know, there's no issues, but it's that guy that he's a little bit more rebellious. He's a little bit more, and I've been really tough on them. And, you know, maybe, maybe taking a different direction and maybe handling them in a different, a different light. Um, you know, bench management, I think that's what something that it took me a while to learn too. um, you know, very, very, very vocal on the bench a lot of times. And, you know, I, I I've found now that I, I've, I've, I'm growing, um, you know, into a more patient, more observant, you know, and it allows me to be a lot better. But when in my younger years, I was a little bit more, more that way. And, you know, and, yeah. and I think in the, in, in the end, um, just, you know, just sometimes sit back and relax and, and, and enjoy the process, enjoy the ride, you know, because where you're at now, uh, you never know it could be the best spot you're ever going to coach or best group you're ever going to mm-hmm. have. So, you know, don't, don't be looking too far down the path.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, perfect way to end brother. Well, thank you so much for taking the time man. this was awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, so many good
1: nuggets. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And when, when you called and said and message and said, Hey, we're doing this for Roger Nielsen, it's like, I, I, I couldn't be more proud to be affiliated with a, with, with a group. I'm proud to be a coach, but um. He's one of the grandfathers of what we do. And, you know, the, the, the message that that, uh, that he was always able to put forth and Marshall and his group have carried it on. Um, I'm a huge supporter of that, and I'm, I'm glad to be associated with it and the people that are around it.
0: Oh, it's awesome, buddy. That's awesome. Influence, right? Influence, that's what it's about. Absolutely, it's about. absolutely. Awesome, buddy. Well, thank you very much, man. And, uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. And great job today, man. Thank you again for uh, sharing being with us today. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. and I'm I'm humbled and honored to be part of it. Thank you.
0: Can I just take a second and tell you guys how much I love, 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 love doing this and interviewing these coaches and just being able to get their perspective from so many different ways. And, you know, this this experience with Coach Greg Ireland was just awesome to be able to hear. It's take a man who grew up in the North American culture for so many years, coaching at that level and coaching at such high levels – to then be able to take his experiences and, and experience European coaching culture and pulling it all together. And just just an interesting perspective that you don't have normally with coaches that you'll talk about to be able to see that they've had such a rich experience. Uh, loved it, absolutely enjoyed it. But we'd love to hear your feedback. It's about you guys at the end of the day and your thoughts about our experience with Coach Ireland. What did you take away? Was there anything that you felt was helpful for you as a coach You know, or maybe even as a parent or as a player? And we'd love to hear and learn about how Coach Ireland may have inspired you to be a better you know, human being and coach for the game. And let us know your thoughts in the comments. And as always, please remember to hit the subscribe button if you'd love to stay up to date with our new episodes. If you enjoy this content, once again, please make sure to keep an eye out for Roger Nielsen's coaching clinic, which is set for this coming June 5th to the 7th in Windsor, Ontario, where you can connect with some incredibly innovative NHL, pro, college, junior, and youth coaches from all over the world. Check out www.rncc.ca to learn more about how you can register for Roger Nielsen's coaching